0: Um, we are, of course, in our third week of Advent, and we're in Isaiah 42 as we're continuing in our sermon series called Light. And as we begin, I want to talk to you about um, I loved, and I say loved because I still do, but not as much. I loved basketball, right? And uh, the Los Angeles Lakers was our team. Now I might get some boos from you, but not as many boos as I've had in the past, so that's okay. <laughs> the the Los Angeles Lakers we um, were in the 2001 NBA Finals. Okay, they played the 76ers, and we were living in Maryland at the time. So my dad made me a promise. He said, if they both get to the finals, if the Lakers and the 76ers get to the finals, um, I am gonna get us a ticket, and we're gonna drive to Philadelphia, and we're gonna see the game. And so we did that. Like we watched the the we watched all the 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 NBA championships and we watched the conference finals and then they won and we were rooting for Philadelphia to win with Allen Iverson and he won and we found out oh my gosh they've got three games in Philadelphia so I remembered that promise of my dad and he in fact got us tickets and so we went um, if you know anything about Philadelphia fans I bravely wore my Lakers jersey okay very brave especially in Philadelphia Um, we were getting booed by the Philadelphia fans. I was like a child and they were booing me. Okay. Um, and, and what's, what's beautiful, what's kind of, what's actually not beautiful. This was the, the hard part was at the end of the game, Two 76ers fans, the Allen Iverson fans and the Keith Van Horn hands, for those of you who remember, got into a fist fight at the end of the game. And like they were right in front of us. And so my dad kind of, my dad was a big boy. And so he put me in front of him with his hands on my shoulders so he could keep track of me and kind of used me as a battering ram to get through the crowd <laughs> so that we could get out. And as we were trying to get out, my dad had a wallet that also had some keys in it, right? So he had like a key wallet thing. And that got stolen. Somebody lifted my dad's wallet that also had our keys and we couldn't get home. And so at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, this was like before cell phones too, my dad called home, mom borrowed somebody's car without MapQuest or GPS, printed out the directions and then drove to Philadelphia to get us the spare key so we could drive back. And so we spent hours in the basement of the First Union Arena eating. My dad was playing on his two-way pager. He was playing brick breaker on his two-way pager. And I was like looking at magazines and eating out of the vending machine. Um, but, you know, you look back and uh, it, was just, it was just actually, it really it gives us a laugh now, but it was kind of stressful then, right? But, uh, so, so here's the thing. Um, what in the world? Why did I bring this up as on our third week of Advent? Why, what does it have to do with this morning what we're talking about? See, um, here's the deal. Israel is about ready to enter into bondage, okay? And they're gonna be far away from their home, but God made a promise to them. And that's what the book of Isaiah is about. It's a promise to a people that are about ready to enter into slavery and exile. And he said, I'm gonna get you back And not only that, but I'm going to take you somewhere, and you're not just going to be a spectator, but you're going to be in the game with me. You see, my dad gave me this promise. He said, we're going to go to the game. But not only that, but there was a part of us that was in the game. When you show up to a game, you're kind of in it, too. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're cheering, and my dad, my 400-pound father, jumping up out of his seat, and we're screaming, and the Lakers won the game, and it was just, we're in it, you know, And I I feel like I was a small part of that thing that happened. And the struggle and the stress of kind of being, you know, abandoned in Philadelphia for a number of hours kind of just makes it fun. You know, now it's just the fun part of the story, right? And so what what God is telling Israel is that someone is coming who is going to make the world right again. And he's going to change us in the process. And then he's going to invite you to participate in making the world right again, too. Like, you're not just going to be a spectator. You're going to be in the game. This is part of God's promise for us. And don't we always remember promises? When somebody says, I promise, it's almost like there's a recorder that goes on into our head about what they say. And whether they fulfill that promise or not can sometimes, you know, depend on how we interact with them and how we trust them in the future. And you see the promise for Israel that a Savior is going to come, bring them back, and says, we're going to participate in the redemption of the world together. The promise for Israel is also a promise for you and me today. You see, we live in a world that's laden with darkness, with troubles, pain, conflict, hurt, rejection, and death. And, and I don't know about you guys, but for me, sometimes it can feel like I live in a strange land. I feel like I'm far away from my true home. And I think especially during Christmas time, these feelings can come to the surface with, with us and our different family dynamics and our different work dynamics. For kids, this can be a stressful time of year for you right? You're running around, you got final projects, it's leading up to Christmas break, you got sports. But for our adult kids in the room, our relationship with our parents can sometimes be strained. And Christmas time actually might remind you of the dysfunction of that relationship, especially as you go home and interact with your parents. For parents who are in the room, sometimes there's a lot of pressure on us to create the perfect memories, to buy the perfect gifts, to do everything right, to be at all the events and look perfect and have everything together. Or maybe it's, I got to get those last couple hours of work in. I got to work, work, work because I'm not going to see my clients. I've got to do as much as I can before I go on Christmas break. For, For the family, when we think about our broader family dynamic, sometimes being around our family can be more stressful than helpful, right? Especially if there's some conflict or there's some unresolved pain in the past. And sometimes going home is hard for us. It doesn't bring up good memories. And then maybe in the season, it doesn't bring up conflict for you, but maybe the absence of our loved ones, maybe our separation during this special time of year, it can make it just seem like things aren't right. And so I think that we can identify with the people of Israel who are going to enter into the season where they're going to be far away in a strange land. And so regardless of where you find yourself here this morning, our title for the sermon today and what I think the hope that the gospel brings and Jesus' arrival that comes into the world brings is that there is a promise of freedom for you and me. There's a promise of freedom in the midst of bondage today. So the questions are, what if I told you that you had been given a promise by God? And not only that, but that promise then says, hey, when you believe this promise, you become a part of the fulfillment of that promise to the people in your proximity. And that promise can bring freedom in the midst of hurt, pain, pain suffering, and even death. You see, in the midst of Israel's captivity, God spoke a promise of hope and a promise to us through the book of Isaiah that's as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. We can experience freedom. And this Advent season shows us how God's arrival truly brings a freedom for you and for me. So three points for today. Where do we find the freedom? How does it change us? And what does it mean for us? Where do we find it? How does it change us? And what does it mean for us? So first, as we look at this, where do we find freedom? You see, God chose this people thousands of years ago and he made a special promise to them that he would bless them and then through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But Israel rejected God. They actually brought in idolatry. They began to worship images that they carved with their own hands and and now as a result, they're gonna be separated from one another in a strange land, captives of another nation because of their rejection of God. And when we get to, we're going to be in Isaiah 42 today, but the chapter before in Isaiah 41, God literally says, bring your idols to me. The subtitle of that, as I was looking at my Bible, was the futility of idols. He says, bring your idols to me. Can they tell the future? Can they explain the past? Can they help you in your suffering? And so he kind of ends with, there's just your idols are not going to do anything for you. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to introduce you to a savior who's going to bring you into freedom. And that's where we get to Isaiah 42, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. it will also be on the screen. This is what God says in Isaiah 42, starting in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I am uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So we see as we, God's saying the futility of your idols are not going to save you. They can't explain the past. They can't determine your future. And he says, but there will come a savior. And he's talking about Jesus. And he gives us kind of Three different perspectives on this coming Savior. The first one, who is He? Who is this Savior? Look at what it says here. He says, Behold, my servant. He's going to be a servant whom I uphold. He's going to actually be sustained by God Himself. He says, My chosen. This means that this coming Savior is going to be chosen by God. And then it says, In whom my soul delights. This means that God is going to delight in this chosen, sustained, special person, the special servant that God is breaking into the world. And then we see, what is he doing? This chosen, delighted, sustained, sent servant of God has God's spirit, and what is he gonna bring? He's gonna bring justice. He's going to set the world right again. Now, when we think about this idea of justice, most often we think about it in the context of sin or brokenness, right? Like we think, okay, there's something happened to me and I want justice for what happened to me, right? That's what we think. It's always in the context of the negative. But remember, justice is a, is a character of God, which means that before there was ever any brokenness in the universe, before God created anything, when it was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity living together, there was justice there. So it can't just mean in relation to brokenness. What does it mean? It means that everything that God does is right. It's positioned correctly. And so when he's talking about that Jesus is bringing justice, he's not just going to solve sin, but he's going to set, he's going to bend the world straight again. He's going to set it right again, because that is the nature, that is the character of God. What he does is straight. What he does has has a plumb line that never moves. What God does is always in right order. And when he brings his justice, a synonymous word to that is righteousness or rightness. And so when you think about the word justice here, he's setting the world right again. He's bending it back to how it was originally supposed to be. Now, when we think about justice, I don't know about you, but I think about Jesus coming with a sword and defeating his enemies, the right arm of God, bringing justice into the world. That's what I think of, right? I think of like this... Viking that's coming in. I'm going to set it right again, right? That's what Jesus is doing. But then we see how he's going to set the world right again. How is he going to bring justice? Look at what it says. It says he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. That's not what I think. I think of Jesus having a war cry when he comes in to set the world right again. It says he's not going to cry aloud or lift his voice or make it heard in the street. And then this is what it says. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. But then to remind us of his goal, that he's not a wimp, he's not a weenie, he says he will faithfully bring forth justice. So he's saying, hey, wait a minute, this, we're still gonna do this, but he's gonna do it in a way that is not how you and I would choose to do it. You see, what this means is that God is not gonna be dismissive. The Savior is not gonna be dismissive of the things that seem useless or beyond repair. Think about a reed. It's just like a tall blade of grass, right? And it's bruised, it's bent, it's cracked. Just the faint little brush up against it will break it. Think about a candle that's burning and going down and down and down, almost out. And if he walks past it, it goes out. That is how gentle the Savior is going to be to you and me. That's the character. That's the nature of this Savior that he cares for the things that are seemingly lost, that seem useless or beyond repair. And implied in this is not just that he cares for them, but he has the power to heal them. He has the power to mend the broken reed. He has the power to fan into flame the flickering candle that he can heal. So he brings justice, but he brings it gently. He brings it restoratively. My friends, this is of course pointing to the person and the work of Jesus because this is quoted in the New Testament. This is quoted in Matthew relating directly to Jesus and his healing ministry. Look at me at Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 14. It says these words, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen and beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope we see that the healing character of Jesus is what fulfills this prophecy, which means that we read the Old Testament in light of what the New Testament says about it, that this is referencing the coming Savior. It's referencing his healing. It's referencing his care for his people. He brings justice to victory. He brings freedom, but it's restorative, not retributive. He's a healing God. And that's where we get to, what does this mean for you and me? As we enter into this season, his arrival into the world to bring freedom. Well, my friends, to my kids, to my adult kids especially, this means that he can heal your broken relationships with your parents. He can heal your broken relationships with your family. He can sustain you. For my parents, he can heal the misplaced, unrealistic expectations of our culture to perform, to be perfect, to be the best He can heal the unrealistic expectations of your job and your work to work, 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 right up until the last second. For our family, my friends, as we look at our broader family, God can heal brokenness. This is what he's here for. This is what he does. He can heal the brokenness that exists with our family. He has the power to do that. And when it relates to death, his arrival, and Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and his physical bodily resurrection, it shows us that even death cannot separate us From God's love, and that He can and will use the absence of our loved ones in ways that we can never fully understand. Like, God can redeem it, He can use it. Well, how can this God heal? How can He do it? Where is the power? Well, the next verse in Isaiah reminds us of who He is. Look with me at verse five where it says, Thus says God. So He says, I'm going to heal, I'm going to not extinguish. The, the faintly burning candle. I'm not going to break the bruised reed. He says, thus says God, the Lord, who created the universe, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. My friends, this is the promise of God for you. This is the hope of the freedom that Advent brings, that the creator, that the sustainer of the universe, he enters into our story and into our world to save us, to bring healing, to bring freedom. He doesn't stop. He's not hindered. He is absolutely relentless. He restores the broken. He strengthens the weak. He sustains the struggling. He remembers the forgotten. He restores the fallen. He cares for us, and he cares for you. He loves you. And his arrival into your life brings freedom and justice into your world, setting things right again and he promises to save you, and he doesn't. He fulfills his promises because he is God. You see, Jesus' arrival into our world is where we find freedom. So, that's our first point. Second point, how does this freedom then change us? We've looked at what God does for us in the person and in the work of Jesus, but we see that his actions then change us in foundational ways. Look with me at verse six of Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now, look at what he does here. You he change who he's talking about. You see, he started by saying, this is this promised savior. This is how he's going to come. He's going to come in justice. He's going to come gently and healing and restorative. But then... He then turns to his people, right? Do you see, it talks about you. I've called you in says, He then turns to his people, Israel. Now put it back in context. What did we say at the beginning? Israel is going into slavery, to Babylon. Like it is coming. It is being foretold. It's already beginning to happen in the Northern Kingdom. They're going to go as refugees, as political prisoners, and as slaves. And he says, when you get there, when you get into this bondage, that's what That's what the book of Isaiah is writing about. It's an encouragement to a people that are entering into political asylum. And he says, when you get there, I will do certain things for you. And then he tells them what he's gonna do. And that's right here. He then first says, I will take you by the hand and keep you. And of course, when you think about this, when I think about this, my mind immediately goes to a good father. And when does God take, when does a good father take the hand of his child when there's danger, right? When you're crossing the road, you got to get up some steps, say, come on, give me, give me your hand. I'm going to hold your hand. My friends, this is the picture of our father for us is that I'm going to take you regardless of where you're going. Even when you're going in the midst of difficulty and struggle, I am going to take your hand and I am going to keep you. Now that I think is just a beautiful thing to consider It's a beautiful way to consider our father. But then he immediately turns around. And then what does he say? The very next sentence, I will give you as a covenant for the people. Wait a minute. So he says, I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to keep you, but then I'm going to give you away. So he's saying, wait a minute. Hold on. What is he he talking about here? I will give you for the people. Who is the people that God says I'm going to give you as a gift to? He says, I'm going to give you as a gift for who? My friends, this this is the Babylonians. These are the people that were going to take them into slavery. These are the very people that were going to cause suffering in their life. He says, I am going to give you as a gift to the people in your proximity. And what does that mean for you and me today? This means that God has saved you and me. He's brought us back into his kingdom so that we can be a blessing and a gift to the people in our proximity. This is our family. This is our friends. This is our neighbors. This is our co-workers. He says, doesn't matter how they even treat you. I want to give you away as a gift. And what does he say? He says, I will give you as a covenant for the people. What does that mean? Well, we say this every every Sunday at at communion. Covenant means promise. (laughs) See, God is giving you as a promise of his character to the people in your proximity. So as we model the joy, as we model the grace, as we model the freedom of Jesus, as he saves us, as he brings us into his kingdom, as he brings us into his way of living, into his mind, into his thinking, into his heart, as as we model that to others around us, that we are modeling the promise of God for others around us. So he says, the promise just isn't for you, but then you join me in others participating in this promise too. And then he says these things, a light for the nations. What does it mean to be a light for the nations? Three things, to open the eyes that are blind. This means that when you and I walk as the promise of God to the people in our proximity, we actually are allowed to partner with Jesus to open spiritually blind eyes. Again, remember in Babylon, they didn't know anything about the God of Israel. And they're gonna go and they're spend hundreds of years there. And they're gonna see the faithfulness of Israel, over and over and over again. And my friends, if you feel like you're living in a strange world, we are. If this Advent season comes up and it doesn't feel right, because it's not, because this is not how God created the world. This is not ultimately going to be how our home is going to look. God's going to restore. He's going to restore everything that is broken. And you and I can live as a promise of that to the people in our proximity, as missionaries to open the eyes that are blind, freedom from spiritual blindness, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon. That's freedom from spiritual oppression. My friends, when people are so weighted down with anger, hurt, pain, when they're weighed down with shame and guilt and bitterness, my friends, that is oppression. And what does Jesus come? Jesus comes and brings freedom. And so this is what it means, is that his arrival into the world and our participation with his spirit means that we can be an agent of freedom for others around us. And it says, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. My friends, Jesus has brought us into his kingdom, into the kingdom of the beloved son of God. And that is opposed to the kingdom of darkness. That means that we can enter as lights into the world around us as we deeply believe his promises for us and then live and model that for the people in our proximity. And what does God do? God saves them in the midst of their bondage. He does not change their external circumstances, does he? They still go to Babylon. They still spend hundreds of years away from their home. They still suffer. But he gives them a purpose in their suffering and their pain and their difficulty. He ultimately saves them, he brings them back into their land. So, what does this mean for us in 2023? Well, kids, this means this gives us a lot of freedom. This means that your relationship with your parents might not be completely changed or restored. Like, reconciliation takes two to tango, right? You can forgive. That's a commandment of God to all Christians to forgive as we have been forgiven. But restoration of relationship, full reconciliation, it takes two willing parties. And and you might actually not have that in your family with your parents or with your broader family. But God says that God can be a good dad to you who can take you by the hand and lead you in the midst of conflict and difficulty with your parents or with your family. Parents. You might still feel the pressure around you to perform. Professionals, you still might feel the pressure around you to make work your number one priority in your life. But what does this mean? God gives you the peace to live free from what other people say about you. He gives you the peace to live free, to say this is not going to dictate or determine how I live my life, how I lead my family. And even in death, when our loved ones die, we can rest assured that God does not waste their absence. Rather, he redeems it. He does not waste our pain that we feel, but God uses it and God redeems it. So our privilege of being brought back to God and brought into freedom, my friends, is now our mission. It's universal. It's for the world. And we are a living promise of God's faithfulness and love to the world around us. We are called to be a covenant promise, a light, inviting people out of the brokenness with us. And we can't do this on our own that's the whole point of the first section. In Isaiah, God said, I will send someone who will save you, who will give you the freedom to empower you to fill these commandments, to restore his people. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. And we are given away to the people in our proximity. What? Empowered by a Savior who has already freed us. I don't know if you've heard the phrase. I I heard this phrase growing up um, uh, about talking about evangelism. It says, I'm just one beggar Telling another beggar where to find bread. Have you ever heard that term before? I think it's a good term. I'm not trying to knock the term. But I also maybe want to reimagine that idea is that actually in Christ I'm no longer a beggar. In Christ I'm a son. In Christ I'm a daughter. In Christ I'm sitting at his table, not eating the table scraps. I am eating the full abundance of all of who he is, and I have a plate in front of me that God is loading up, and because I am so full of him, because I'm so filled, and I'm so joyful at being at my father's table, at being his son, at being his daughter, that I pick up this giant plate of food, and I can't help but walk outside. and says, come get it. Come get it. Come and see. Come and experience Jesus. You carry the promise, not as a beggar, But as a son and as a daughter, fully redeemed, fully free, fully living in your father's house, enjoying all the benefits of his table. That's what this means. That's where it flows out of. See, the mission begins with what Jesus has done for us. And then he just simply says, come on, here's this abundance. Come with me. Let's go get other people in. That's what it's about. That's what his freedom brings us. So what does it mean for us? Isaiah 42, 8 to 9. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. My friends, there's a new thing dawning in the world. You know, when the Bible talks about the last days, it's talking about now. (laughs) <laughs> the last day has been going on for 2,000 years. The world was waiting for thousands and thousands of years for the arrival of Jesus. And when the arrival of Jesus come, he says, I am setting the world right again. The last days are here and now, and they have been for 2,000 years. Because in the light of eternity, these are the last days, Right? And so what he's saying is that this is why we celebrate Advent. This is why we light candles. We have readings. This is why we, we deeply think because we are reenacting the waiting that the world had for thousands of years. Every Sunday as we light this and more candles, as the light gets brighter and brighter, we are embodying the waiting of the world, where the world was waiting for the Savior thousands of years. And God, in his grace and in his mercy and in his honor, Truly, I think love for us has allowed us to be born on the other side of Jesus in human history. We get to see the fullness of his promise revealed. We get to live in the freedom that so many people, the nation of Israel just saw hints and glimpses of. And now we see the story. We know where it's heading. We know where it's ending. And this is why Christmas is so good. It's not because of you. It's because of him. It's because of all of what he's done for us. It's all about who he is and what he's done. And this is the freedom that Christmas brings. And the new thing that Jesus' arrival comes into the world and creates freedom for you and me to walk in and invite others to walk into. And the question is, is this new thing happening in you? Has it happened? Have you put a stake in the ground saying, I choose to follow Jesus? I repent. I believe. I believe that he is my savior. I believe that he is my friend and my freer of my chains. Do you want to be there? Do you want your friends to be there? Then pray for them. Believe, repent, and believe this news. So do you believe this freedom of Christ? Do you believe he's come and is coming into your world? My friends, this is the freedom that Christmas offers us. Do you believe that we are given as a promise to the people in our proximity to lead them to the freedom of Jesus? Well, guess what? This is the mission of Christmas. Christmas brings freedom, and it brings a mission. So the question is how? How? All oh, this is great, it's good. How does this really truly work itself out? My friends, the only way that you, can, you and I can be a covenant promise to the people around us is because Jesus was the ultimate covenant promise for you and for me. See, Jesus is the one who's God's chosen, suffering, gentle servant. Jesus is sustained by his father. He didn't grow weary until he accomplished the task of salvation. Jesus is the one who is called in righteousness. Jesus is given as our covenant promise fulfilled. He's the true light. He's the true releaser of change. He's the true glory of God revealed to us who frees us. He is the one who says to us, there is nothing in your past I cannot redeem and heal. And he is the one who says to us, there is a new thing happening here, right now. That's Jesus. That's the only way that we can be the promise to the people in our proximity. And now in Christ, everything that is true of Jesus is true of you and me. Everything that's true of Jesus is true of you and me. God chose Jesus. What does he do? He chooses you. God sustains Jesus. What does he do? He sustains you. God delights in Jesus. Even in the depths of your sin and brokenness, God delights in you because he sees who you're going to be one day. And he's delighting in that. God put his spirit on Jesus. He puts his spirit on you and me. God entered as the light of the world in the person of Jesus. He puts his light in you. God frees us by the work of Jesus. He allows us to work alongside of him to invite others. God resurrects Jesus. He resurrects you and me too. Spiritually now and one day, ultimately physically, when he restores the world. What does this mean for us? My friends, God has saved us and freed us so completely that everything that is true of Jesus is true of you and true of me. And so when you think about the season of Advent, when you think about the promises of God, let this promise touch your heart that he is giving you his freedom. And he's inviting you to share that with the people around you. And there is no pain, there is no brokenness, there is no death, there is no conflict that he cannot redeem, whether through ultimate reconciliation, well, you'll see it in this life, or even in the midst of it, he will redeem you in the process. Why? Because his spirit resides in us and he's bringing his freedom this Advent season. And so all of this is possible because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.